Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. All right, well, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and make our confession today as we fill our heart and our mouth with faithful words. Amen? Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind's alert. My heart's receptive. I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, ever-living seed the Word of God, I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, won't you shout amen, lift up a hand clap of praise to the Lord, stir up the house today with worship. We bless your name, God. We're thankful for you. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to be reading a couple of verses in John chapter 15. I am so thankful for the goodness of God. I'm so excited to share this message with you. It's been burning in my heart. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that we serve a living God who speaks to men and women. Amen? Are you thankful that God's going to speak to you in the next few moments that we're looking at His Word? Hallelujah. And that's how you have to receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God as God's Word written to you. Written to you. How many is thankful for the messages that pastor's been preaching about the Bible? God's Word written to you. Amen? I mean, knowing that this, this book, it's for me, it's for you. It will strengthen me. It will strengthen me in the things of God. It will strengthen my marriage. It can turn around a marriage. It will strengthen my children and turn around children and, and strengthen my family. It will build a nation within a person. It will bring forth the goodness of God in my life. And it's His Word and believing His Word and continually planting it over and over in the soil of your heart that brings forth his goodness and His might. That's what your Bible is. It's God's Word to you. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. We're going to read a couple of verses here. And when, as we're reading, I want you to keep this in mind. Abide in, as Jesus said, me. Abide in me. Abide in me. In fact, I want you to say this. Say, abide in me. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 
Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Somebody say amen. I want us to see a few things here, and basically there's three things I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is this. The Lord has a vineyard. John chapter 15, which obviously is after chapter 14, but before chapter 16. Somebody say amen if they know that's true. Starting at John 13 is what we would call the Last Supper. The Last Supper. In John 13, Jesus takes His disciples to go eat what they would call the Last Supper prior to Christ going to the cross. So John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all taking place after the Last Supper or at the beginning of the Last Supper up to the point that Christ is then taken away to go bear the sins of the world at the cross. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So basically what we could say is everything that we read in those chapters are the last words that Jesus gives before He goes to the cross to pay the debt of sin. I don't know about you, but if I know that I only have a certain amount of time, I'm going to cut down and trim down what I have to say so I make sure I say the most important things. Right? I mean, if you only got so much time to talk, you're not just going to waste time talking about anything and everything, yammering on. Oh, some of us might, right? But if I know I only got so much time, I'm going to fit in everything I need you to hear before the time runs out. That's where we find ourselves in John 15. So Jesus is speaking to His disciples here. He's teaching to His disciples. And He's giving an analogy here concerning a vineyard, a vine dresser. The King James says husbandman. The Father's the husbandman. But the Lord has a vineyard. The Lord has a vineyard. And there's actually, it's interesting, you see throughout Scripture, there's only three plants really that are ever used as analogies. Olive trees, fig trees, and vines, grapevines. The Lord has a vineyard. And I want you to see this. John 15, 1, we're going to be in these eight verses all morning today. The first thing I want you to see is Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Joe, I know you're still working on a little bit, but I feel like maybe some of this is in mix one. It's not? Okay, all right, all right. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Now, if Jesus is the true vine, that implies there are other vines. There are many vines. The question is, which vine are you connected to? Because there's only one true vine. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, we see that Israel was actually the Lord's vine. We see that in the book of Jeremiah. The Lord says, Yet I planted you a noble vine, speaking to Israel, holy a right seed. How then are you turned into a degenerate plant and a strange vine unto me? Anybody ever planted something and you had expectations of what that plant would be come harvest time and it didn't quite yield like it was going to? Or maybe you've got a real good green thumb. But I've planted some, t- some times, planted some plants, and I wait, you know, whatever the maturity time is, 90 days, 120 days, I'm excited. Plant a tomato plant, and it gives me three tomatoes. And I'm thinking, I spent $2.88 for three tomatoes when I could have bought them for $0.69 cent a piece at the grocery store on this plant that I worked and watered for four months. Or maybe you have some seed sitting around, and you thought it was a certain type of seed. 
You plant it and you grow it. Well, I didn't know it was that. I thought it was cucumbers. And here it comes up. I don't know, watermelon or something. The Lord's saying to Israel, he said, you were my vine and I had great intentions for you. I had a desire to produce my fruit in you. But when you come, came to fruition, when you matured, you were a strange vine. I planted you a noble vine, but you went wild. Hosea verse, uh, chapter 10 verse 1 says the same thing. Israel empties his vine. So Israel actually being the vine of the Lord, though transgressing the things of God, becomes a wild vine that produces its fruit and then spends its fruit on idols. So we see here there are different types of vines in the earth. But there's only one true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. One true vine. Now the second thing I want you to see this is still in John 15, 1. Jesus is the true vine. Now notice this. My father is the vine dresser. King James says husbandman, vine dresser. Some translations say the gardener. We're going to see here the perfect work of the Trinity. We see Jesus, he's the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. And what we're going to see throughout these verses, you can already pick it up. For instance, verse 2. Verse 2. There's some cutting and pruning that takes place. There's some branches that don't bear fruit, and they're trimmed away from the vine. Then there's some branches that bear fruit, and they're pruned. We'll look into that more. But all that work is done by God. You know, when it comes right down to it, the life of faith is living in and through the power of God. The Christian walk, the life of faith, is not based on your strength or your power. As long as you're trying to do what's in this book by your strength, I'll fail, you'll fail. Have you ever been reading your Bible and you think, my goodness, Lord, you expect that of me? How can that come to pass? You expect me to love my enemies? I halfway have a hard time loving my friends. And you want me to love my enemies? Oh, don't just love them, AJ. Pray for them. What? I spent all my time praying for me, myself, and I. I got to add in my enemies too. But here's the thing. If you're relying on your own strength, you won't produce His fruit. There's no plant you've ever owned that watered itself. Some of y'all tried that. I have too. And when you come out, it's dead in two weeks. Because it don't water itself. It's amazing. Anyone ever had this Thought, I've had it many times, cutting grass. I'll have a section of yard that's dead. It won't grow the grass. I want it to grow grass. It won't grow grass. And here I am trying to make a section of dirt grow grass. Then you walk over to your sidewalk where there's not supposed to be grass. And what's growing through the cracks? Grass. There's some tending that has to take place, isn't there? There's some working and managing of what you plant that has to take place. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, For we're God's fellow workers, you are God's field. You're God's building. You are the planting of the Lord. Isaiah 61 tells us that, that the righteous... How many are made righteous by the blood of Christ today? Then you're the planting of the Lord. You're God's property. Now, some people may not like that because that means I have to yield to who owns me, who is my master. Sometimes we don't like that word, we don't like that thought. But Romans chapter 6 says, whomever you serve is your Lord. So you're going to have a Lord. I, you know, doing digital ministry and stuff like that, 
uh, that, that's one of the common things people say to me. You're so crazy that you're a Christian, that you believe you, that you serve someone. I don't serve anybody. And I think the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and who is deceiving you? The God of this world, lowercase g, Satan. Everybody's got a Lord. The question is, who is your Lord? King Jesus, the all-benevolent King, kind, wonderful Master, the true vine, or Satan, the destroyer, the wicked one, the devourer. And I want you to see this. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and then we're going to go back to John 15. So if you've got a ribbon, leave your ribbon there. 1 John chapter 2. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, the one that tends to the garden. And 1 John chapter 2, we're going to see a connection here. The Holy Spirit is the life that flows through the true vine into the branches. I need you to keep that in your heart and your mind. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the gardener. And the Holy Spirit, if you will, is the sap that runs through this vine into the branches. 1 John 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Skip down to verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from Him, Christ, abides in you. Uh-oh, there's that word again, abide. Abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is, is true and is not a lie just as it has taught you, you will abide, live in Him. Someone say the anointing. The anointing is the flow and the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And anything done without the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it is futile, it is worthless, it's here today and gone tomorrow. There is a power and an ability that is reserved for the believer who will yield themselves to God the Holy Ghost to have something done in their life that no man or woman can come and manipulate, change, or steal away, or stop. Man, I love it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus said, I am the one who holds the key of David. I open a door and no man can close it. I close doors and no man opens it. What does that mean? That means when God has directed you to do something, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, I'm going through with Jesus. Because the anointing that I've received from Christ is going to cause me to overcome in this life. The life that we live is an overcoming life. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's so interesting. People think about doing things for the Lord. And uh, I'm a young man, but I've been, I've been serving the Lord in any way that I could for a long time. And what I have found is this. God's not looking for somebody that's got the best talents and abilities. Prime example. Singing that last song. But I'm faithful. I'll be here next week and sing again. <laughs> Hopefully better. God's looking for someone that is available and will be faithful. God needed a deliverer for Israel. He chose Moses, who was hiding, hiding in the desert and couldn't talk. God desired to bring about a nation that would bring forth Christ. He picked Abraham, who had no sons. Last time I checked, in order to build a nation, you need at least one or two sons. 
He, so, he chose someone who didn't even have children, couldn't have children. God doesn't need my help or your help. And when we get right down to the end of it, if we get right down to the bottom of it and realize that even what I have, it ain't much compared to Christ. And even what I have, I can't do it in my own strength. I'm going to have to have it sanctified by the Holy Spirit before it will do anything for Christ. When I get to the end of myself, then I'll find true power from God. What did the Apostle Paul say to the Lord in 2 Corinthians? Turn there with me, in fact. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Everything that we're going to see in the words of Christ in John 15, we're going to see it cannot be done unless it was with a heart of full surrender to Christ. Full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. If, I, if there's at any point I'm trying to work myself out in this thing called the Christian life, rather than fully trusting and yielding on the power of God, it won't work for you. It won't work for you. Now that doesn't take, a fa- take away the fact that there is action to faith. What it is, it's saying that I will work, but I'm going to work in Christ. So see that Jesus is the true vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and the Holy Spirit, He is the anointing. He is the power that causes you to live and dwell and abide in Christ, to abide in Him. So let's get back to John 15. John 15, as we work our way through this, I want you to see this. The Lord has a vineyard, He has a vine, and the vine, the true vine, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, somebody say branches. Now, of course, we think when we say branches, we see the limb on a tree, right? But if my grandfather were to say a branch, that could mean a limb on a tree, or it could mean a real small creek. Not enough water to be a creek. Smaller than a creek is a branch. So I always think about that. Anyway, there's, diff- there's two branches. Somebody say two branches. John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That's it. There's only two branches in the Lord's vineyard. Fruitless and fruitful. No in-between. There are fruitless branches. Those are severed and removed. The Lord has no need of branches that do not bear fruit. And then there are fruitful branches that the Lord prunes so that it will bear more fruit. Now you might think, well, what about these fruitless branches? How could you be a fruitless branch but still connected to the vine? It is a branch that is not yielding to that life, that sap, that flow of the true vine. Because all a branch does is produce what the vine pushes through it. That's all it does. A branch just yields fruit. 
That's the purpose of a branch. To where if it doesn't yield fruit, it's because there's no life in it. It's not the vine's fault that a branch doesn't bear fruit. It's a branch that will not yield to the vine that is fruitless. Oh, you've probably done it. You ever walked to a, up to a tree? And generally, it's the lower branches. As a tree grows taller, those lower branches oftentimes no longer have sap flowing through them because they're not long enough to reach out and gather up sunlight through the leaves, and those are the ones you can break off. But there's fruitful branches above it, living branches. It's interesting. We went to an uh, apple vineyard. I guess it was last year, fall of last year. And the guy was talking about these apple trees and how they cut out, they top out these apple trees every year. Because he said, the last thing I want is a 12-foot-tall apple tree. Because I'm going to have apples from 6 foot up. You know, maybe Sean could get 6 foot and a half up. We'll know with the arm range. He'd get about 7 foot. He said, the last thing I want is a 6 foot and above tree with a bunch of apples we can't get to. Because I want people to come and pick and they ain't bringing in ladders. So they top those things out. So branches that produce fruit are pruned. Someone say pruned. What is pruning? It's when you cut back something so that it can produce even more. This is something I started, I started praying in my prayer life, I don't know, a year or two ago. Lord, prune me. Might hurt. A little bit of cutting. But I know if you cut away what's dead, there'll be more fruit. That's the heart of a believer. More fruit, Lord. Lord, I'm bearing fruit because I'm connected to you, the true vine. But I see there's room to bear more fruit. And I know, verse 8, that in much bearing of fruit, I glorify the Father. And that's what I want to do. I want to bring glory to you, Lord. And I know that there's more capacity for more fruit. So, Lord, if there's something in me that reduces the amount of fruit that I can bear, I don't want it in me. So, Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, prune away. Cut away. That's what the Bible calls sanctification. You think that's a big old multi-syllable word. I'd have to count it out. Sanctification. Is that five syllables? Five syllables? That's a big word. That's one of those $4 words, right? Not four-letter words. Don't say them. $4 words, right? What does that mean? Be clean. Look at this. Verse 2, look right under it. Verse 3. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You go to Ephesians chapter 5. The Lord says that the washing of the water of the word will cleanse you. You know, we're, we as a church, we're reading through our Bible from cover to cover. Now, if, when I just said that, you think, well, I'm not reading my Bible. Get on the program. Come on now. Get on the program. 29 days in, read your Bible. Because as you read your Bible, it's a supernatural process. The truth of God's Word comes in your eyes when you look at it. If you read out loud, I read out loud too. In your ears. It washes your mind, renews your mind, and then goes down and plants itself in your heart. So that 1 Peter 2, the imperishable seed of God's Word then springs up forth in your life. So then that your thinking changes to God's thinking. 
You know, oftentimes we've heard this, Isaiah 55, right? I think Pastor may have touched on this a few weeks ago. Isaiah 55. People will say, well, praise the Lord, we know that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And His ways are not our ways. For the wicked, yes. For the ungodly, yes. But when I came to the true vine, I left the nature of the old vine. When you came to Jesus, you got grafted into a new vine. You literally got severed from that old vine, Satan. And when I was connected to him, I produced fruit over there too. But it was fruit of death and unrighteousness. And I was pretty good at producing that fruit. But then I got cut off and I got added to the true vine. And now I have his nature. As a Christian, you have His nature. It's 2 Peter 1 verse 4, we are now partakers of the divine nature of God. This is why it's so odd and so weird as a believer to enter into sin. This is why when you do it, you oh God, I feel unclean. Because it's not your nature. Because the sap that flows through the true vine doesn't produce that kind of fruit. And there is a cleansing process that takes place in your heart and your life as you continually submit to the life that's found in the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the continual uh, connection and union and, and living in Christ, there is a cleansing that takes place that that which is not of Christ gets flushed out to the point to where Whatever I did bear then, I no longer bear now. That life that's flowing in this branch, you and me, is now bearing this fruit of Christ. Because at the end of the day, there's only two branches. Fruitless branches. May we never be found fruitless branches in Jesus' name. And then fruitful branches. And I see you bearing much fruit in Jesus' name. How many wants to bear much fruit in the Lord Jesus Christ? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is, this is the Christian life. This is the simplicity of the Christian life. It is by faith. Somebody say, by faith. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Look at this. This will rock your world if, if you'll just sit and let this word penetrate into the depths of your soul. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I, I love hearing Bible pages flip. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Once you say that, say, Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right now, in your body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This right here solves a whole lot of problems in the Christian life. When I realize that God has no desire in reforming the old me, the only desire that God has is He wants to see that old me nailed to the cross with Christ. He doesn't need to reform the old me. He's got a new me in Christ He wants to give to me. And so this solves a whole lot of problems of striving and struggling and thinking, well, I see it in the Word, but how can it be? 
I can't do that. You're right. You can't do that. Dead men and women don't do anything but lie in graves. And that's who I, that's the old me, the old AJ has been crucified with Christ. This is the power of the gospel. It's not, well, I've heard that for 37 years, AJ. It, It has to be a living revelation. Every waking moment, I'm alive because Christ lives in me. It's the power of Him who destroyed sin, who holds the keys to death and hell. He lives in me. And His grace is sufficient. So that even in my physical inability or infirmity or there be persecution or pushback, it's God's grace, God's power, the living Christ living Himself through me. When you get a hold of that, it changes the way you talk, the way you think, the way you live. What do you mean? What do you mean? You know, Satan comes along and tries to lie to you. Sickness? Disease? You foul devil. What you cannot put on Christ, you can't put on me. Because who's living in me? Who's living in you? Christ. Why are you uncursable? Because he who breaks curses is alive on the inside of you. How can you curse me? You know, maybe we don't see it as prevalent. We went to Belize. And uh, this was several years ago. We went to Belize and we was driving down, uh, I was going to say a highway, but there ain't no highways in Belize. Once you get about one mile out from the coast where all everyone vacations, there ain't nothing there but potholes and dirt roads. And you don't drive more than 30 miles an hour. If not, you'd blow out the front end or rear end, every tire, spare tire. I mean, the spare tire would run away before you even put it on when it saw the potholes. We was riding, riding down this highway, this road, and we saw this guy sitting on the side of the road. And I'm a kind person, but boy, he was ugly. He, and he made himself look ugly. Oh, and he had all kind of wicked things hanging off of him and feathers and everything. I mean, he just looked like death. And, and the, the evangelist we was working with, Brother Gene Hancock, he, I said, who is that? He said, he's a witch doctor. And, and, and I said, really? He's a witch doctor? Wow. Well, so what's he do? Well, you know, he curses people. You go to him and... He, got a, he has a $4.99 curse and a $9.99 curse. And if you really don't like someone, a $12.99 curse. We'll cut a couple more heads off chickens, you know, whatever. And, and, and so maybe we don't see them sitting on the side of the road. But it's interesting, you look up some of the most prosperous uh, fortune tellers, mystics, psychics are in Washington, D.C., I'm wondering who's going to them and paying them their rent money. Oh, my God, we need Daniels in our government that go to the living God. Not some soothsayer, not some knucklehead that talks to familiar spirits. Oh, well, you know, if you start talking like that, someone may curse you. (laughs) Try it. Go ahead, baby. Curse on. I've been cursed by the best cursers. Curse on. I've been cursed by professional cursers. I ain't doing nothing. Is it because of me? Nope. Because he who breaks curses lives on the inside of you. 
you know, for the past several years. You can listen to the news and get some information, but there's a tipping point, and it ain't very far in, that you listen to it, and it will evangelize you for unbelief and doubt. I had a professor in school, Christian doctrine professor, side note, he came in one day, said he didn't even know if he was saved, and he was the guy preaching Christian doctrine. So I, at that point, I never felt bad about getting a bad grade because I'm thinking, this guy don't even know if he's saved, and he's the one teaching me about the Bible. Anyway, he said, you really should read your newspaper more than your Bible so that you know how to properly pray. Man, I've got the Holy Ghost. The knower of all things lives on the inside of me. I don't need a tainted, colored, mm, toxic, poisoned view of the world. I know what should be. I know it ain't because there's sin in the earth. And I pray the will of God. Because, you know, you, you can get so filled with what the, what the news says. You know what? Several years ago, it's going to be a dark winter. It's what the news was reporting. From the White House, I think. A hard, cold, dark winter. Not weather-wise, but sickness and all that. I had a good winter. I'm having a good winter right now. I'm going to have a good spring, summer, and fall too. Why? Because he who made winter, spring, summer, and fall lives on the inside of me. And he said, in every season, the tree that is planted by rivers of living water will produce fruit. See, when I'm connected, when you're connected to the true vine, the branch just produces what is in the life of the vine. And I'm not concerned about the sap or saps and other vines. That was a pun. That was a play. It wasn't a very good joke, but it was a joke. Inadvertently caused some people saps. Satan is the biggest sap of all. Galatians 2.20, you see that. You've been crucified with Christ. That's it. I'm crucified with Christ. Just as Christ died on the cross, I died with him. When his hands were nailed to that sin-bearing cross, so were mine. Not because I had to die for my... Well, I was required to die for my sins. But even if I did or you did die for your sins, it would pay the debt in as such that you were now dead. But Christ paid the debt so that you could be freed from the debt that He paid. But spiritually, the old man has been crucified with Christ. And now I live because Christ lives in me. Well, that's real simple, AJ. That's the gospel. That's the power of God's Word. That's what it means to live as a Christian. That's what it means to walk by faith. I'm living, I'm walking because of the strength of Him who is life lives on the inside of me. So that's why, you know, sickness comes, a report that is correct in the natural may come. Some aches, ailments, pains in the natural are there. But then I respond, not based on what I feel, but based on the fact that I'm just a branch connected to the vine, the true vine. And the true vine, from Him flows life. From Him flows healing. See, getting, here's the thing. You, get, you change your mind. Change and renew your mind to this. When, when sometimes, and I've done it, but we have to renew our mind to the strength of God's word and his truth. It's not that i got to go to God and convince him to do what he said he would do, or for instance, healing. I have to go to God to get healing from him. That's not what we're doing. I am connected 
abiding, dwelling, living in Him who is health. He is healing. So healing and health is just what flows in you, in me. Because I'm connected to Him who is health, who is healing. Now, if sickness was in Him, then it would have a right to flow into this branch. But there's no sickness in Him. If poverty was in Christ, then it would have a right to flow into this branch. But there's no poverty in Christ. If defeat and despair and destruction were in Christ, it would have a right to flow into this branch, into that branch. But it's not in the true vine, so it can't be in you. We do this in the natural. We got a shrub that's at the corner of this building over there. I'm not talking, I'm pointing at Rick, that's where he's sitting. But it's beyond Rick outside the wall. There's a shrub out there that had some fungus on it. The fungus is something that is not part of the shrub. But if it remains on the shrub, it will kill the shrub. There's some things Satan would like to attach to you as a branch and hopes that he could reduce your fruit, stop your fruit, and destroy you as a branch. But just because it may have attached itself to you doesn't mean it's part of the life that flows in the vine into you, the branch. And we're cleansed by his word. Galatians 2.20. With this idea, you're in Galatians. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, before we come to a close here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Much of what I'm sharing with you today was masterfully written and explained in Reverend Andrew Murray's book, Abide in Christ. A lot of of you ladies have it or were given it several years ago on Mother's Day. If you got it, go dust it off and read it. I'm sure you read it. Read it again. Husbands, be a good husband. Steal it from your wife when she's not reading it and read it. It's a good book. There's a whole lot of depth and teaching in it. But Andrew Murray in the late 1800s, he had a ministry in South Africa. And he was impressed by the Lord knowing that many of the people that he served in his church, and he had a massive church, and he served at different churches, but a massive ministry. And this is before, you know, cars and automobiles. He's going by wagon. He's going by mule and wagon. And in fact, many of the people that would come on Sundays to church, they would actually come in driving in wagons and supplies on Saturday because the journey would be so long. So they would drive in from where their farms were. South Africa was a huge agricultural uh, nation. And they would come in on Saturday. And Brother Andrew said, well, I got them coming in on Saturday. I want to make their trip worthwhile. So they'd basically have church about all day Sunday and then go back Monday. And now think, some people only got to drive 15 minutes and it's too far. You ain't got to hitch up your mules and wagons and come on Saturday and find a place to spend for Sunday. And smell like the wagon and the mule while we're all sitting around smelling like the wagon and mule inside a church with no heat and air. Amen. But he, and so he also realized, though, that during harvest time, many, he didn't see many of his people. So he began to write because a book can go where people came. And so he began to produce these messages, and this is one of them. That's just a side note. But if you can get a cold of that copy, we've got some here, I believe, as well. You need to read it. Make it a devotion. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss. All things, every bit of it, I count it as a loss. For what? The excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in Him. Notice, not walking with Him, not sitting beside Him, found in Him. Dwelling, living, abiding in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. Verse 11, if by any means I attain the resurrection from the dead. See, that is the flow. That is the lifestyle of the branch. I am what I am because I'm connected to the vine. And everything that I am, I owe it to the true vine. And anything that is not in the true vine, let it not be found in me. I will count all things loss, all things as rubbish. Some translations say dung. I will count it as worthless. Everything there is that is to be given to me, it is worthless compared to me being found in Christ and knowing Christ and Him being my Lord and I being His servant. Nothing compares to that. To the point I want to know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings so that I can experience the power of His resurrection. In order to get to the power of His resurrection where we all want to get, you go by way of the cross to the resurrection every time. You don't get to skip it. Daily we crucify this self. We, daily we surrender. We sing the song, I surrender all, right? We all know that song, I surrender all. That's a daily prayer. Because it is through the power of surrender that we experience the power of resurrection. I don't get to have a little Jesus added on. It's not like, you know, I'll take a little bit of mustard and mayo and add on a little bit of Jesus. It's all or nothing. And in the, in, in the light and the knowledge of Christ and what He has done and who He is and how He works and how He powerfully transforms somebody that puts their faith in Him. Why would I not serve Him? Why would I not yield to Him? Why would I not quickly, wholeheartedly, quickly obey? Why would I not count every other opinion as worthless compared to His command? What cost is too great? None. That I might know Him and be found in Him. See, again, it's still, it's, still not, it's still not you striving or you working to produce something in Christ. It is a life of surrender. Derek Prince, mighty Englishman, minister of God, he wrote a book called The Grace of Yielding. It is in the power of yielding, of submission, of surrender, that you carry power from God. Look at the life of Abraham. Abraham gets a word from God. You're going to have a son. What do Abraham and Sarah start doing? Figuring out how can we make God's word come to pass in our life our way. Enter Hagar. Abraham has a son through Hagar, Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of many, many peoples that live in the Middle East who have been and continue to this day hate the descendants of Isaac. Abraham got a word from God he tries to make God's word come to pass in, through man's power and it produces a problem. 
when Abraham finally surrenders to God's power and lets God do what God said he would do and let God's power bring about God's word in his life, it produces the child of promise. It doesn't change. It never has. At the point that I'm trying to scheme and make something take, pay, take place in my life and try to help God out, that's when problems are created. That's when Ishmael's are created. But when I surrender and I do it God's way and I let Christ live in me so that what I say, it's what Christ would say. How I think, it's what Christ would think. When I reach out my hand, it's Christ's hand reaching out. Where I go, it's where Christ would have me go. Where I work, it's where Christ would have me work. When I'm doing ministry in the church, it's what Christ has called me to do. Because I know if I do it, problems will occur. But in the power of Christ, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Now notice this as we come to a close. John 15, we're going to finish in John 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. A less immature Christian version of A.J. would only read John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. All right. The less immature version of me would read that and skip over verses 1 through 6. No pruning, Lord. That hurts. Just get me to the fruit. Just get me to the I can ask what I want and get it. I'm, let's not do any of that pruning right now. That cutting and clipping, that hurts. Don't talk about the possibility of being fruitless. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Don't give me the command of 4 and 5. Live, dwell, abide in me and I in you. No, just let me get to verse 7. Pray and I'll get it. And that's where some people get hung up on the power of God's Word. Some folks will read John 15, verse 7 and think, Oh, goodness, it says you can ask what you want. What if you ask something that God don't want? Branches that are attached to the true vine don't want anything the vine doesn't want. You ain't going to ask what God doesn't want if you're abiding in Christ. If I am in Him and He is in me, the things that I did want that He doesn't want, they have all been removed, pruned away, cleansed. So that then I get to power, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. That's a good reason to read your Bible right there, isn't it? If you've got this much knowledge of the Word of God, you're going to have this much prayer results. And it's a, it's a very sad thing. Some people will live their life bearing meager fruit, having this much knowledge of the Word, this much abiding, and then they hit something, Satan comes and attacks them, and this is how much they ask. But they've only been doing this much abiding. This is how much they desire and how much they need faith for, and that's how much Word they have. There's some branches on a fruit tree that are very tender. You know, it takes years before a fruit tree produces fruit. That's why I haven't planted one. Because you're going to have to plant the thing and nourish it for about four or five years before it's going to produce fruit. I don't want that. I want to plant it today and pick apples tomorrow. But if, they, if apples came out on a one-year-old fruit tree, 
the branches would break. That's why, as a branch, I just need to increase my abiding in Christ. I don't need to be concerned about getting God to do what He said He would do. He's faithful. I just need to be concerned filling up that word in my life. Lord, I just want to abide in you. I know if I abide in you, you're faithful to abide in me. I know that if I draw close to you, you will draw close to me. I know, Lord, that my job as a branch is simply to live and abide and exist in you. And all your power, all your authority, Matthew 28, that's been given unto you, will be made available to this branch. I know that if I just simply live, exist, believe, yield to you, the vine, then I can pray nation-shaking prayers. I can pray family-changing prayers. I can pray church-building prayers. I can pray disease-killing prayers. I can pray abundance falling from the sky like a heavy rain prayers. If I just abide. If I just live. If I just dwell if I just increase my abiding in Christ. That's what's going to get me there. We're going to finish with verse 4. 4 and 5. I'm going to add 4 and 5 so that, I'll, so that I'm not a liar and keep reading the 5. Who said verse 4? 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says the same thing over again, but a different way. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. A vine, a branch of itself does nothing. But a branch wholly connected to a vine will go from bearing fruit to being pruned to bear more fruit, and then after that, to bear much fruit. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. See, that's the progression of the life of the believer. Philippians chapter, or Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 tells us that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. Continual growth in Christ is your portion. Not hills and valleys. Not highs and lows ever increasing in Christ. That's what God desires for you. That's what He has planned for you. Plans of success in every area of your life, by His definition of success, that's what He has planned for you. That you go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Because the job of a branch is simply to bear fruit. There's no reason to have a branch without fruit. It's worthless but a branch that will bear fruit, that's a branch that the, vine, that the gardener, the vine dresser, can work with. That's a branch that the true vine can work with. And that's, that's the glory of this walking with Christ. You get to co-labor with God. God has a desire. He has a desire that He wants to bring about in your life in this church, in this nation. And he's just looking for some branches that will fully, completely yield. He's looking for some branches 
that will simply say, true vine, flow through me. Prune me. Make me produce fruit and more fruit. See, the Bible tells us, Zechariah 4, verse 6, right? It's not by might nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20 tells us, The kingdom of God is not word, but power. The power of God that has been reserved for Christ, he said, all power and authority is given unto me, is flowing in you. Because we're just branches connected to the true vine. Everything that has been reserved and stored up for Christ, the head of the church, flows into the body of the church, you and I. A glorious life, something that is literally almost unimaginable by the human mind, is available for you and I. And I feel oftentimes, maybe you feel different, but for me I feel oftentimes like I'm just barely have even gotten started in bearing fruit for Christ. Don't ever be impressed with your own fruit. And by the way, the fruit of a branch is not for the branch. The life of the vine feeds the branch. Fruit on the branch is for the person that passes by. As you bear fruit, people will come to Jesus. I don't know of a greater fruit to bear. Uh, there's so many promises of God, and they're all yes and amen in Christ. There's so many wondrous things that the Lord has done for us, redeeming us in spirit, soul, and body. But I'm telling you, the greatest fruit you can bear is to see people hear of the true vine from you, and they come into the kingdom of God. The greatest fruit that a branch can bear is to add more branches to the true vine. Stand with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I bless your holy name. I'm thankful for who you are, God. I'm thankful for your mercy, your kindness, your loving kindness, your goodness, your grace, Lord. Lord, I bless your holy name. Everyone that's here in the church right now, I want you to just begin to pray before the Lord right now. Just go ahead and worship God right where you're at. Holy hands lifted up to Him. Just begin to pray to Him. Just begin to ask Him for more fruit. Oh God, that's our desire, Lord. Lord, we've not come to fulfill a religious obligation. If some have, they've missed the point. And I pray that their tender hearts would be changed by your power, Lord. What we have come today is not just to check off a, a box on the list of being a Christian. We've come to encounter the life and the power of you, the true vine. We are branches and we want to be fruitful. We want to bear much fruit for you, Lord God. Oh God, let us be yielding ever constantly to the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit that produces the life and the promises of you, God, in our hearts and our minds. That's our desire, Lord. That's what we want, Lord, to go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, God. Lord, if there be anything in us that, res that resists the life-flowing power of the vine to produce fruit, prune it. We don't want it. We don't want to entertain wicked thoughts. We don't want to speak death sp uh, speech. Uh, we, we don't want to do uh, sinful things. Oh, Lord, if there be anything in us that's not of the nature of the true vine, cut it away now, Lord. Oh, by the, by the sharp word, sharp, sharp blade of the word, Lord God, uh, just prune it out of us, Lord. Prune it out of us. Sanctify us wholly by your word and by your spirit, God. 
Cleanse us that we may be a pure branch. That when you flow your life through us, it's not contaminated by anything. Oh, we want your life to flow in us as branches so that it's not contaminated by any outward force, Lord God. We want your fruit that hangs off of us as branches to be good fruit, Lord God. That it would glorify our Father in heaven, Lord. That it would, it would bring people to Christ, God. That it would, it would help us bring more branches to be grafted into this vine, Lord. That's our desire, God. That's our desire, Lord. Yielded to you, holy God. Yielded to you completely, Lord. Full surrender. We hold nothing back, God. In Jesus' name, we hold nothing back, Lord. Oh, we count it all at lost compared to knowing you, Christ. <clears throat> we count it all for lost to know you, Christ. We will pay the cost gladly day and day again, time and time again, to know you, the true vine, better, to bear more fruit to glorify the Father in heaven. If you're here today <clears throat> and you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or some point in time you did, but you know you're not abiding in the vine. The true vine is calling your name. That tug you feel in your heart is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's one way to remedy that. And that's to confess your sins before a holy God and confess that Jesus is Lord, believing on Him as the risen Son of God. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and that's you, you know you need to make things right with God. Call it whatever you want. You've never come to Christ. You did. You walked away. Whatever you want to call it, you know that you're not abiding in Christ. You're not producing fruit for the Father. But you want that to change today. If that's you, lift your hand right now if you're in the house today. If that's you, and you need to be reattached to that vine, you need to come to that vine in Jesus' name. Or if those that are watching by way of the streams or the replays, if that's you, right where you're at, the true vine will meet you. Church, I want you to pray this prayer with me to pray for everyone that's recommitting and, and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray this and pray it, bold, pray it boldly. Say, Lord... I believe Jesus is the risen Son of God. He is my Lord, my Master, and I am His servant, His branch. I believe all that you have said concerning me in your word. I'm redeemed, a new creation, made alive by the life of Christ. Now pray this prayer. Say, Father... By the power of the Holy Spirit, flow in me your overcoming life. Let it produce much fruit in me. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, shout amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I love you. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.